as a geneticist, I often encounter people who say, you know, these are my genes, that's what I'm born with. And, you know, there's nothing I can do about it. So what I would like people to know is that genes are not your destiny. Of course, you can be born with a genetic disorder, and then that's different. But for most of us, genes do not determine your fate. You are listening to Veggie Doctor Radio, and this is episode number 219. Welcome to Veggie Doctor Radio. I am your host, Dr. Yami, board certified pediatrician, certified lifestyle medicine physician, certified health and wellness coach, author, speaker, mother, wife, and human being. I passionately believe in the power of diet, habits, and mindset in sparking and sustaining well being and joy in our lives. This podcast combines expert interviews and thoughtful monologues to explore plant-based nutrition, lifestyle medicine, parenting, mindset, and other exciting and fun topics. I hope that these episodes inspire you, uplift you, and equip you with the knowledge and tools to live your best life. Are you ready to get started? Let's do it. Welcome, veggie lovers, to another episode of Veggie Doctor Radio. It is such a pleasure to be with you today. I know I've told you this before, but podcasting is my favorite thing ever. I could do it all day long, every day, and still love it. I really, really love being able to do this. And you coming back week after week, listening to these episodes, sharing them with your friends and families, subscribing, writing reviews. I promise you it makes such a difference. We are getting so close to 1 million downloads. Help me out. If you love these episodes, share them. Share them on your social media. Message them to your friends and families. I would love for you to get the word out. But I appreciate you because you've been here and thank you so much. And for the new listeners, welcome. I hope that you love the show. Today, I am talking with a lifestyle medicine physician, and you know how much I love lifestyle medicine. This is a great episode. So many little nuggets of gold that you're going to be able to take with you. So today, I spoke with Dr. Iris Shriver, but before I tell you more about her, I want to remind you that the information on this podcast is for informational and educational purposes only. It is not meant to replace careful evaluation and treatment by a physician. So if you have concerns about you or your child's eating, nutrition, or growth, please consult a health professional. Okay, Dr. Iris Shriver is a certified lifestyle medicine physician, also specialized in clinical pathology and molecular genetics. She is an adjunct clinical professor of pathology at the Stanford University School of Medicine and a past president of the Association for Molecular Pathology. Dr. Shriver served as medical director of Clackamas Volunteers in Medicine and is now developing a lifestyle medicine service there because she believes that healthcare is a basic human right. Dr. Shriver's dedication to patients and to medical progress through science has resulted in the publication of many original research articles, book chapters, and books. Her passion for lifestyle medicine and the possibility of well-being for everyone sparked her latest work, On the Path to Health, Well-Being, and Fulfillment to Your Health. This book investigates the basis of what we think we know about healthy living and reveals the influences on your use and understanding of health information. For more about Iris and her new book, 
go to lifestyleforhealthandwellness.com. So it was such a pleasure to meet Iris. And I love that she is my neighbor. She lives in Oregon, which is one of my favorite states. I love the Pacific Northwest. If you have not visited the Pacific Northwest, what are you waiting for? Literally, this part of the country is a hidden gem. So maybe I shouldn't convince you too much because I don't want there to be an influx and overpopulation, but this part of the country is amazing, y'all. So if you haven't been, come visit. So she's one of my neighbors in the state of Oregon, and I love the work that she's doing. In the episode today, we talk about her path into lifestyle medicine because obviously she is a pathologist and molecular geneticist. So that's not necessarily what you would think of of a doctor that ended up in lifestyle medicine. So that's very interesting. We talk about what her favorite pillar of lifestyle medicine is, why she thinks that lifestyle medicine isn't mainstream, what she thinks is the biggest misconception about health and well-being that people have, and what most of her patients struggle with when they're developing health-promoting sustainable habits. She also talks about traps of manipulation and what that means and how we can avoid those. And we also talk about the importance of having a positive relationship with food. She ends with telling us what her best tip is for busy parents that want to apply the principles of lifestyle medicine to their own lives and families. So this is a really great, applicable, practical episode that you can take, listen to, and start applying to your life right away. I hope you love it. Thank you again for being here, veggie lovers. And now let's welcome Dr. Iris Shriver. Welcome, Dr. Iris Shriver to Veggie Doctor Radio. Thank you. I'm delighted to be here. Well, this should be fun because I love talking to other lifestyle medicine practitioners and doctors and people out there trying to spread the message of lifestyle medicine, which I believe should be the foundation for everything. So tell me, because your background is definitely did not start in lifestyle medicine. So tell me, how did you end up in lifestyle medicine? How did you discover it and develop a passion for it? Yes, let me give you a little bit of background. So originally, I'm from the Netherlands, where I went to medical school. And then I had a long and rewarding academic career at Stanford, where my practice was in genetics and in pathology, mainly in DNA testing. And um, I'm still affiliated with Stanford as an adjunct clinical professor. But eventually, my husband and I decided to move from California to Oregon to pursue a new lifestyle, to explore the beautiful Pacific Northwest, and also to embark on new adventures. And one of those new adventures was the writing of my recently published book, which is called On the Path to Health, Well-Being, and Fulfillment, or To Your Health for short. And that book deals with the scientific basis of what we think we know about healthy living. And it explores what truly supports our health and what doesn't. And it was funny because it was during the writing of my book that I picked up a book by Dr. Michael Greger, and it's called How Not to Die. And through that book, I discovered lifestyle medicine, and I was so fascinated by it and so impressed with the urgency with which we need lifestyle medicine in our world today that I decided to put the book on the back burner and to become certified in lifestyle medicine myself. And it was a perfect fit because lifestyle medicine is really based on 
evidence, scientific evidence, solid science. And that's also the theme of my book, right? Science is an amazing and useful tool to separate fact from fiction. And in my book, I do that by looking at topics like what really makes us happy? Uh, what's the story of nature versus nurture? And how can we prevent diseases? So yes, lifestyle medicine has become a passion as is intentional living and also the possibility of improved health and well-being for everyone. I love that. That's beautiful. Do you feel that your country of origin has anything to do with your pursuit of helping people learn how to be more happy? Because isn't the Netherlands supposed to be one of the happiest places like where people are the most happy in the world? It is one of the happiest countries in the world. That's true. And maybe, you know, when I came to the US, uh, I just really integrated into the culture. I drank the Kool-Aid and I also, you know, got onto the treadmill and, uh, or, you know, rat race, whatever you want to call it. I prefer treadmill. But I worked really, really hard uh, in my career. And it was, as I said, a very rewarding, interesting, fascinating career where there was always something new. Um, I think in the Netherlands, there is a lot of uh, interest in having time with your children, in having, um, you know, a, a balance between your personal and your professional life where your personal life definitely is not uh, taking second place. And I think that contributes. Also having, you know, having healthcare, those kinds of things are just a given. So there is a lot of social support in that sense for having that balanced life. Yeah, when especially when it's already in the culture, I feel like you're right. Here in the United States, we are very focused on those individual pursuits and career and all of that. So sometimes we put our own health, we put our own well-being on the back burner and we don't pay attention to it until a crisis happens, which is something you've probably encountered. So there are six pillars of lifestyle medicine. I don't know if you wanted to briefly summarize them. We have talked about lifestyle medicine on this podcast, so my listeners are familiar with it somewhat, but it would be nice if you just briefly summarize them. And then I would love to know what your favorite pillar is. Yes, I'd be happy to. Um, so I see the six pillars of lifestyle medicine as a puzzle, you know, and if you have a jigsaw and one piece is missing, then you don't get as nice a picture, right? So. I can't really say what my favorite pillar is, but let me review them really quickly. So um, one pillar is a whole foods, plant-based or plants only, ideally, uh, way of eating. Um, another pillar is uh, optimizing and individualizing physical activity plans, improving restful sleep, uh, making and maintaining good social relationships, good connections. Um, it is stopping tobacco and other harmful substances and managing stress with healthy coping strategies. And that's key because I think, you know, we often manage stress in, in ways that are less than ideal, maybe. And if I think about the pillars, then again, you know, it's one picture because you cannot exercise yourself out of a bad diet, right? Um, but if I had to pick one, then I would say the way we eat is definitely a key factor because it's the largest risk factor for driving chronic diseases, disability, and death in our world today. 
And these are diseases like, you know, things you talk about too, heart disease, high blood pressure, stroke, um, cancer, Alzheimer's. And 80% of our healthcare spending goes to those kinds of diseases. So if you combine the six pillars, then you can actually get to a reversal of some of those diseases, at least to a degree, to restoration of health. And you can regain your vitality and energy. And I think that's the most beautiful thing about lifestyle medicine, that it's not just affecting the person, the patient, um, but also their family, also their community, certainly also healthcare providers and, uh, and society at large. So I think it's, uh, it's you know, a wonderful specialty that we really need today. Agree 100%. That was very beautifully said. And I agree that you can't ignore any of the pieces of lifestyle medicine if you want to optimize, right? If we really yes. want to optimize our well-being, if we really want to try to optimize our longevity, we do have to be paying attention to all of those pillars. But I also agree with you that nutrition seems to be a good place to start with some people, especially if there are several areas that may need to be improved or added to because we eat so many times per day. There's so many opportunities to bring in those benefits of the fiber and the antioxidants fueling our gut microbiome the proper way. So we cannot ignore them. We can't neglect them. But at the same time, I'm all for the nutrition pillar too. <laughs> That's the <laughs> yes, one I talk I about the most. I love it. And I love that you talk about it. <laughs> oh, yes, it's, it's fun. Do you think that lifestyle medicine will eventually become more mainstream? And why do you think it's not already? Well, I do. Um, and um, it's not already because it's a relatively new medical specialty. So that's one thing. Also, we need to keep in mind that the majority of medical schools actually don't teach even the minimum requirement of nutrition. And John Robbins has said that, um, you know, a doctor who doesn't know about nutrition is like a fireman who doesn't know about water. And I think that really rings true for me. And also, if we think about what's called the quintuple aim, right, they talk about that in the context of healthcare, where you have better health outcomes with an improved experience for patients at lower costs and all of that in an environment of health equity and clinician well-being then we really need a, sh a shift in healthcare, right? We need a new health economy and we need a new health ecology because we need to go back to the art and science of medicine. So today in the US, 60% of people have a chronic disease and 40% have more than one. So our healthcare system is failing our, our patients, our, you know, our population. Uh, one in three people have prediabetes, and the vast majority don't even know that they're on track to develop actual diabetes. And now more than 70% of all people in the U.S. are either overweight or obese. So we really need a shift in healthcare. I see doctors leaving healthcare. I see patients leaving healthcare. And it, it means that the system is just not conducive to either group you know so uh, another thing is that we're such a medication nation you know in any given month one in every two people is taking a prescription medication 
uh, almost three quarters of doctor's visits end up with a medication and lifestyle isn't even discussed. So um, we really need to go back to the principles of good medicine. And I don't say that lightly. Maybe I can give you an example. Uh, My husband was diagnosed with high LDL cholesterol. So many people are, right? And I mentioned this uh, as an example in my book. And when he went to his primary care physician, she immediately offered him statins. And that really is what most physicians do, whereas actually the science shows that statins have side effects, that they are not, you know, a cure-all. And also the guidelines, the medical guidelines today are that lifestyle changes should be discussed. And that never happened to him. And it didn't happen for any of his friends and colleagues where he, where he asked. Now, that's not a scientific sample, but it's very illustrative, I think, of the situation we find ourselves in. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I am a primary care pediatrician and I own my own practice. And I feel lucky in that people, the families that come to see me, they already have that value, the well-being value, the value of wanting to put more time into learning about nutrition. And for the most part, they like to hear what I say, <laughs> but, but it is very different than the typical because in the United States, we are so busy and overwhelmed. And I think there's so many people feeling hopeless. They Just like you were talking about being on the treadmill of medicine, I feel like some people are just on that treadmill of life, you know, like when are we ever going to get out of this loop of the stress and the anxiety and the depression and financial stress and, and all of those things. So it becomes very difficult for a lot of people. But I'd like to know from when you've worked with uh, patients and clients, what do you think is the biggest misconception about health and well-being that you encounter? I think that the biggest misconception that people have and that holds them back is is basically all or nothing thinking. Um, Sometimes you have a big health scare and the time is right. The stars are aligned to make a massive change. And that can work because, you know, then you're sort of shocked into a new situation and you have, you know, 100% motivation to change where you're at. But for most of us, you know, day in, day out, um, just living our lives and being really busy. Um, that is not feasible and, it's, and people cannot really wrap their head around that. So I think that the mig- biggest misconception really is that, that small change wouldn't make a difference. And the truth is that small steps can make a remarkable difference in health and health outcomes and quality of life. I, uh, I usually like. Um, to say that that you know we need a shift and health is a journey and it's a journey over life so a lot of small shifts can actually increase your skill power rather than your willpower now normally i don't like the word journey because you know i always imagine a cancer patient for example then you know somebody might say how is your cancer journey and i'm thinking well that person didn't go on a cruise right they didn't choose this particular situation But over a lifetime, for most of us, health and happiness really are a journey. We do learn along the way. And what we need most in that journey, truly, I think, is compassion. Compassion with each other, compassion in our workplace, 
and also maybe most of all compassion and kindness for ourselves and really create that connection back to ourselves so that we can add years to life and life to years. Yes, yes. I hear you 100% on that one. And I agree that many of us do launch into something. We decide this time we're going to do it. We're going to go all the way. And in a few days, we don't do the thing. And then we beat ourselves up and it makes it even harder to stay on track because you already know you're going to beat yourself up if you quote fail. Right. But whenever we see it as an experiment or something to be curious about, something that is trial and error, something that we can tweak to fit into our lives and our lifestyles, it becomes a different process than that black and white thinking, right? Entirely. So I think that so important for people to know that, that they can give themselves grace and that life changes. Life is very dynamic. <laughs> I mean, just think about having kids, like they're going through all these different ages and seasons and they're in preschool, then they're in elementary and then they start driving and life changes. And as life changes, your habits and behaviors can adapt to that as well as you go through these different life stages or even different seasons of the year mm -hmm. might be call for different habits and behaviors. So thank you so much for pointing that out. What do most of your patients struggle with the most when developing health-promoting sustainable habits in their lives? Yeah, when I talk to people, the number one thing, their greatest weakness that they mention is willpower. And I mm -hmm. always explain that, yes, if you want to make a positive change in your life, then of course, intention is at the heart of that change. But um, you also need motivation, you know, the willpower maybe, but I, I prefer the term motivation to get you going and to keep you going. But in order to keep motivation going, you really need to be able to create positive emotions. We have so many ways to make ourselves feel bad and we have relatively few ways typically to make ourselves feel good. And those ways to make ourselves feel good are not always actually health promoting. So, you know, I, um, think that if you are able to create positive emotions, then you can nourish your healthy habits and vice versa. And then you can increase your physical, mental, emotional, social, and spiritual health in a way that really unifies your body and mind. It's such an artificial division uh, between body and mind. And the science today really supports that they are fully integrated. And one example there is sleep, for example. So, you know, sleep is a very physical thing. And yet, if you don't sleep well, then, you know, the next day are, you are likely to eat 300 calories more, you will be more anxious, you will be more stressed. In the long term, you're even at an increased risk for cancer uh, and, um, and weight gain and, and a lot of long-term effects as well. So um, I like the idea of positive health, where you take those six pillars of lifestyle medicine and you combine them with the tools of positive psychology so that you can more easily create these positive emotions. And that is a very strong combination that can um, do a world of good. It can be miraculous and revolutionary. Yes. I feel that it's something that we should be taught since we're children because it can make such a big difference in people's lives. As humans, 
we're so wired to focus on the negative, mm-hmm. right? Absolutely. Because even as a as a health coach, I deliberately have to tell my clients at the beginning of the session, tell me all the good things that happened <laughs> since the last time we met. Because if I don't say that, automatically it's like, oh, I didn't do that. I didn't do that. This went wrong. This went wrong. And it's that cycle, like you said, going back to beating ourselves up and not having compassion with each other. But so few people understand that we can actually manage our thoughts and feelings. Mm -hmm. It's not just something that has to be automatic. It can be a conscious process. And once we learn those skills, it's like a superpower that gives us the ability (laughs) to really navigate life in a whole different way. So very few people talk about this, Iris. So I'm glad that you brought it out. (laughs) You talk about traps of manipulation when you're referring to patients navigating information to make progress in their health. What do you mean by that? Well, if you want to live as long as possible while feeling as good as possible, and I think we all do, then you need to know what really supports health and happiness. You need to know what's for real so that you can enjoy life and feel well in any phase of life. And where you put your trust can truly be a matter of life and death. So, you know, we have a fountain of information, right? And that is fun because we have so much information at our fingertips today, but it can also be really overwhelming and confusing. And the reason for that is that many of our sources of information contradict each other. So we are influenced and sometimes just really manipulated, and we may not even realize it. So our health and happiness are influenced by our personal choices, by our circumstances, and by these outside influences. And the question then becomes, are you going to be taken on a roller coaster ride? Or are you going to be in the driver's seat of your life as much as possible? One thing that I always like to have on hand to support my healthy eating style is a yummy sauce. Sauces just help bring our meals together with delicious flavors. I do my batch cooking on the weekends and I usually make one or two sauces, but invariably life gets in the way and stuff happens. Like we eat all the sauce before the end of the week or I get busy and I don't have time to make any sauce. So I am so happy that now I have a go-to all-purpose sauce that I can keep in my fridge. But what's even better is that it's shelf stable until I open it. Yay! I'm kind of obsessed with Bernie Wilde's adventure sauce for many reasons, but here are three. Number one, it tastes amazing. It's creamy and has a mild, pleasantly spicy kick, but it also has a unique umami flavor with a smokiness and a bit of a tang. It's kind of hard to describe, you just have to taste it yourself. Number two, it goes on anything. We've used it on bowls, salads, tacos, soup, and even as a dip. Honestly, the hardest part is not straight up drinking it out of the bottle. Everyone in my family loves it. And number three, it's a great company with a heart-centered mission. This is a plant-based company whose mission is to inspire others to live a little more adventurously and encourage a passionate enthusiasm for life, the planet, and all of its inhabitants. Are you curious about this delicious sauce? It's called Bernie Wild's Adventure Sauce, and you have a good reason to grab yourself a bottle or two right now. My listeners get 20% off their first order of $20 or more and free shipping. Just use code Dr. Yami, D-R-Y-A-M-I. 
follow the link in the show notes or go to BernieWilds.com, B-U-R-N-Y-W-I-L-D-S.com. After you taste it, I want to know what you think about the sauce. Do you love it as much as I do? Get yourself a couple of bottles right now of Bernie Wilds Adventure Sauce and get your 20% off and free shipping by using the code Dr. Yami. Enjoy. And, you know, I describe a lot of that in my book, uh, these traps and how we can get out of them. Because if you have knowledge based on science, it's like Harry Potter's defense against the dark arts. That's how I see it. Um, <laughs> our choices are in part rational deliberation and in part they are these outside influences and we're often not even aware. So, you know, we're driven, we're influenced by things like pseudo-scientific notions. So something that sounds really credible may not be. So a very easy example of that is the eight by eight rule that many people know, that you're supposed to drink eight, eight ounce glasses of water each day to be well hydrated. Well, uh, it's very specific. Numbers are used. So it sounds like there must be a big body of scientific evidence behind it. But actually, that's not true at all. There's nothing wrong with being well hydrated. Don't get me wrong. But there is no actual scientific study that says that you have, you know, have to have these eight, eight ounce glasses. You can also just drink when you're thirsty. And then if your urine is pretty clear, then you're probably hydrated enough. For the vast majority of us, we don't need an app for that. You know, we can just look <laughs> and see how we feel. So that's just one example. And then there are cognitive biases, and those are fascinating as well. And we all have them. That's another thing. You know, people sometimes think, oh, I don't have these biases. Everybody does. And they complicate the correction of false beliefs. So we may have believed something because of our history, because of our culture, because somebody we trusted told us. But then these things are very hard to correct. So one uh, cognitive bias is negatively biased credulity. Now that's a mouthful, but basically <laughs> what it means is that information that points to danger is much more likely to be believed and remembered and shared. So again, going back to the negative sticks and the positive doesn't. Another one is the illusory truth effect, which is also very interesting. It means that if you hear something more than once, you're more likely to remember it and believe that it's true. So if you hear something on television five times, the first time you might think that it isn't true. And the fifth time you might think, well, you know, there might be something to it. And that's just not true, right? There's, there's no basis for that other than repetition. So we're all influenced by these things. And that in, it, in turn then influences how information about health is believed and shared. And sometimes it's just an influence and sometimes it's egregious manipulation. And that's particularly important when we're in a vulnerable state. And when is that? When we're tired, when we're hungry, or when we're not feeling well, when we're ill. So those are times we shouldn't be on social media scrolling <laughs> all the influencers then. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm curious to hear your thoughts on diet culture and the emphasis 
of thin at any cost. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I think the most important thing for us, and and it's not the case for most people, is that we go back or get back to a normal relationship with food, a positive relationship with food. You know, food is something that should nourish us, that can benefit our being, that supports life where the wisdom of our body can guide our food choices and where we can honor the signals of our body and not just link it to clock time. You know, so for example, Mm -hmm. if somebody who has a normal relationship with food um, gets hungry in the middle of the afternoon between meals, then that person is most likely to just have a snack, maybe a handful of nuts because they know that gives me energy and, you know, it'll get me over to dinner. It will not be a treat. It will be a snack. It will not be, you know, a cookie and then another or something that has a lot of calories and very little nutritional value. But if if you're somebody who is um, not having a normal, healthy relationship with food, as is the case for most of us today, then you might tie your eating to clock times. So what happens then? You get hungry in between meals then either you're going to be faint, feeling faint until dinner, which is not a good situation, or much more likely, at four o'clock, you're going to break down and you're going to have one cookie and another and another and another, you know, and then you're going to beat yourself up about that. So mm-hmm. I would like us to get back to eating with joy, not being afraid of being hungry. And when we can listen to the signals of the body, we can also stop when we are comfortably full. One of my friends calls it sufficiently replete. I, I like that term. You know, it sounds really beautiful, but basically means that you know when to stop when you eat a mindful meal. Um, and so normal eating, having a normal relationship with food has nothing to do with what we eat. It has everything to do with why we eat and how we make our choices. So, you know, all eating is emotional. There is emotional compensation, which is an unhealthy form of, uh, you know, dealing with food. And I've done a lot of stress eating over the years, you know, before I found my own balance. But, um, you know, for, for, for many people, it can also be a beautiful thing where food brings us together instead of divides us, um, where food can be a source of joy where it can be an opportunity to try out different cultures, you know, so where it brings back memories and and positive feelings. But um, that's not often what we um, see in people today. It's really complicated and it's fraught with anxiety and guilt, uh, suspicion, and there's so much shame and shaming. I think we need to stop shaming and we need to stop blaming and we need to look at it as something that we're all in together and then looking at what we can do to get ourselves out of that because ultimately food should support our health and our function and it should support our health well-being and longevity and for myself i was a vegetarian for decades actually before i switched to a whole foods plant-based diet and again for myself I now know that it is achievable, sustainable, that it is filling, that it is delicious and tasty and rewarding. And I wouldn't want to go back. 
but it's you know mentally for people a big jump and sometimes they are just really stuck in their eating patterns and in their unhealthy emotional relationship yes absolutely I hear you so much on all of those comments, especially the shame surrounding food, because people have gotten so confused about what to eat. And like you said, we feel like we need all of these external rules that we just end up having this very disordered relationship with food. And that's why I like to emphasize adding adding fruits, vegetables, whole grains, beans, nuts, and seeds, instead of taking things away. Because I think that for some people, it creates that anxiety of like, oh, I don't know how I'm going to be able to do without that, that food item. But I think everybody feels more relaxed when they're like, okay, I can add fruits. I can try to add some veggies. That's something that's doable. And then little by little, they can start to tune into their bodies, let go of some of these food rules and calorie and macro counting and those kinds of things, and then just learn the ebbs and flows of their body over time. I couldn't agree with you more. That is so important that you're actually adding things to it and that you can get away from, from this idea that, that food is not your ally, but your enemy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that you need to restrict or that you need to, you know, again, people who have a normal relationship with food, uh, they're not perfect. They don't have a ton of external rules. They may have a few do's and don'ts that they picked up along the way, but you know, if they have a, a big piece of cake on their birthday, well, fine, it's not a big deal, and it will balance it out without major effort on their part. That's basically what I wish yes. for, for all of us to have. Yes. It doesn't take up extra brain space. Exactly. For somebody that's had a disordered relationship with food, they may eat that cake, but they're going to feel guilty the whole time they eat the cake. And then they're going to be trying to plan out how to make up for that cake, either by not eating very much the next meal or over-exercising yeah. or whatever it is. But the person who has that positive relationship with food and trust their body, they don't think about it. They just automatically adjust. They may not be as hungry the next meal and they eat less, but they're not consciously thinking about it, which is a big difference. It frees up so much of that mental energy that a lot of us have spent decades using to think about food. Exactly. What do you wish more people knew? Uh, Well, as a geneticist, I often encounter people who say, you know, these are my genes, that's what I'm born with. And, you know, there's nothing I can do about it. So what I would like people to know is that genes are not your destiny. Of course, you can be born with a genetic disorder, and then that's different. But for most of us, genes do not determine your fate. So, for example, genes Um, determine less than a quarter of the variation of human lifespan. And only a third of our happiness is actually determined by our genes. And that's excellent news because that means that, uh, you know, maybe 60 or 70% of our happiness is based on our thoughts and our actions. So you can do something about it. And until the age of 70 or 80, it is really lifestyle rather than your genes that determine whether you're going to be healthy and whether you're going to live that long. So yeah, genes are just not your destiny. I'd like people to know that. And you know, as one example um, that I describe in my book, there was this one study of 56,000 people that had different risks for developing heart disease. And they put them in three categories, one high-risk group, 
one moderate risk group and one low risk group. And what they showed was that with lifestyle, they, each of these groups could reduce their risk by the same amount. So if you were in a high uh, category, you could still slash your risk of heart disease in half, which is huge, right? That's a really, really big accomplishment just by changing lifestyle. So I think that's a very inspiring example. And um, people just need to know that, yeah, your genes are important, but it's more in where and how your genetic code is expressed. Uh, like, is the gene turned on or off? And to what degree is your genetic code actually going to be active uh, in simple terms? But that's really where it's at. It's not so much that you cannot influence anything. It's, it's lifestyle that determines those kinds of activation. Yeah, that's so powerful. And it's so powerful for people to know this because thoughts create things too. So if we are to believe that, you know, there's nothing I can do anyway, then we're going to follow the patterns that align with that, right? Like if I don't think it matters anyway, then why would I even bother to make any changes? Because, you know, it doesn't make any sense. So believing that we are empowered and that we do have some say in the matter by our choices and our habits and that there's no need to be perfect, it's not all or nothing, it's not black and white, is going to prompt you to attempt to develop those lifestyle habits and behaviors that support well-being and longevity. So the belief is really, really important (laughs) to start out with the belief. Really, it's just in all of our favor to believe that we do have some say in the matter. Because like you were saying, even for those people that are really high risk, a lot of them are going to be able to improve with their habits. So that's great. And you can do that in any phase of life. Sometimes people also think that it's too late for them. Like, oh, you know, I'm never going to get back to a normal weight. Well, that may be true. You don't have to have a perfect weight. Or, you know, if if you're obese, you can still make a huge difference even with small changes. It is really that that important. Yes, absolutely. Especially when it comes to body size, I think it's important to repeat this over and over again, because in our culture and in the medical establishment, we've pretty much led people to believe that weight is everything. And that if you have a certain body weight, then there's no way you can achieve well-being. And because of that, it's the same limiting belief, right? You have the same limiting belief that there doesn't matter. I shouldn't do anything. That weight stigma has been shown to actually lead to disordered eating and less physical activity because it's internalized. That stigma is internalized that, well, I'm worthless. I shouldn't do anything anyway. And I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing because it doesn't matter. So I think that we need to keep repeating that over and over again, that there are things that we can do, even those small habits to feel better. And one step leads to another, those little small changes. Absolutely. Totally. Hey, are you kind of curious about microgreens and including microgreens in your diet, but you're not sure where to start and you're not sure how to do it? 
I love my Hamama microgreen grower. It's so easy, it's so convenient. So this is how it works. Basically, they send you the kit and it has this little seed quilt, okay? And then you soak the seed quilt in the water and in a few days, you see your tiny little baby sprouts growing and a few days after that, you can start eating them and it's so fun. And you can tell them that you're eating them and they're really happy that you're eating them and your body's really happy that you're eating them. But here's the best part because I've told y'all before, I'm lazy. So I don't wanna have to use any mental energy that I don't need to. And they send you seed quilts every month. So you don't run out, you can change what seed quilts you want to try. So here's some examples of some of the seed quilts they have. Hearty broccoli, refreshing cabbage, energizing kale, spicy daikon radish, super salad mix. You can even get wheatgrass, you can get culinary cilantro, or even hot wasabi mustard. So there's lots to choose from. They have different flavors. They're so cute and they're health promoting. So you can get a good dose of antioxidants and it's really beautiful. I also use them for garnish when I'm making soups and salads and different bowls. You can impress your guests. But like I said, it's going to be low energy cost on your part and it's actually not that expensive either. The other thing that I use from Hamama is a green onion growing kit, which is really cool because it can decrease your food waste. So you buy the green onions and then the little part that has the root, the white part at the bottom, you stick it in these little holes and then you just put the water in there and it grows and then you can keep eating the same green onions. You just go with your little scissors and you chop it off and you put it into your food. So if you wanna give it a try, you've been curious about microgreens, and different ways that you can grow your own food, check out Hamama. You can find it in my show notes for a link to get 15% off, or you can go to dryami.com forward slash shop so that you can find the link and get 15% off your first order. Happy growing. Do you love Veggie Doctor Radio, but you're sick of listening to ads? Join the Plantscription. The Plantscription is a monthly membership where you have access to ad-free episodes of Veggie Doctor Radio every week. But that's not all. You also have access to a monthly live Q&A with me and a monthly live book club. You also get access to writings and musings and free giveaways. It is such a great deal. Right now, it's only $5 a month to join the Planscription. If you wanna join, go to planscription.substack.com or go to the show notes to follow the link. Join the Planscription today and join me in this plantastic community. Speaking of habits, I would love to know about you personally. What personal habit are you most proud of? That is such a great question, and it's such a difficult one also. <laughs> um, I, I would say that, you know, at least I, one habit of mine, one, one that I really cultivate is having the mindset of being an explorer. You know, that of course fits with being a scientist, with being a physician, but that's not how I mean it. It's actually that I really try to keep an open mind and I keep questioning things, not doubting things, but questioning things. And that means that I need to put myself in someone else's shoes. And by that, I can learn so much. You know, I've always had this innate love for learning and this innate curiosity 
to do things better and to make things better for others and myself. And by having this habit, by, by questioning um, things and by keeping this open mind, I, I can learn a lot and I can have a lot of you know, personal growth in the process. So, and I'm, yeah, I'm proud of that because I, I, again, it goes back to black and white thinking, you know, this, that it's, it's better to just understand that you can change your mind and you can change your perspective. It's so helpful to have that skill, to have that mindset that you are thinking about things and you're questioning things because you're able to carve your own path and you're not just falling into what somebody else is telling you is right for you. You can test it out and say, well, maybe it will be, maybe it's not. Let's see how it goes. You know, and I, I think that more of us can use that skill of being the explorer, being the scientist and taking that with a perspective of our life and our well-being and our longevity. Now I'd love to know about your morning routine. <laughs> Not everybody <laughs> has one, but if you have a morning routine, I'd love to know what it is. I do actually have a morning routine. A more, there's more routine in the morning than in the rest of my day. So um, that's a good place to start. Um, if I wake up before our dog does, and most days that is true, then I meditate and um, that really gets me into the right frame of mind and sets intentions for the day. And then I rise around six o'clock and I take her for a walk and there will be some playtime. And after that, I feed our pets and I uh, make a nutritious and delicious breakfast. And for me, that usually looks like uh, a bowl of oatmeal with raisins and flax seeds and cinnamon and um, some freshly ground nutmeg on top. And my husband makes soy yogurt for us. So um, we'll, we will have some of that. And then usually we'll have a smoothie. I um, usually take a banana and then fruits from our garden. So um, we have blackberries and raspberries and Italian plums in our garden. And I can freeze them and enjoy them all year, basically, in these smoothies. And um, you know, after breakfast, I take a little break. I basically you know, check what's going on in the world, uh, do some email, but only for a short time, very limited. And after that, I do a workout that I love. And that last part is really important because I feel better after exercise. And it's because I do something that I really enjoy. And then I'm ready for the rest of the day. Oh, that sounds lovely. I love your morning routine. What kind of dog do you have? I have a German Shepherd dog. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The morning routine is the morning routine is really important um, for me because at some point I just decided that I don't have time to rush in the morning. <laughs> and that's a luxury. I do realize that, you know, tell, tell that to people with small children. Right. But at some point I wish for them to also just live in that mindset of abundance rather than in the mindset of scarcity. Absolutely. And yes, the phase that children are little doesn't last forever, <laughs> but it is an obligatory phase you have to go through if you have children. But I can attest to that. Mine are now 12 and 17, and I do have a lot more space to have a luxurious morning routine that I don't feel rushed. And I, I put that on my little vision board is relaxed, unrushed mornings because rushing in the morning is so stressful. I remember when my kids were little and I just felt so much anxiety trying to get everything done and everybody fed and everybody packed up and get in the car and get to school on time. And, ah! You know, by the time you get to work, you're just like, <laughs> you know, your hairs are 
of standing on the end. So it is nice to be able to slow down or get as much ready the night before so that you don't feel that rush in the morning that can really put you on edge. Well, this has been really great, Iris. What a wonderful, lovely conversation. I would love for you to tell us how we can connect with you and what products and services you offer. Well, the best way to connect with me and to learn about my book is uh, through my website, lifestyleforhealthandwellness.com. And there um, people can find a uh, discount code for the book. Uh, I'm also very happy to say that the ebook, which is very affordable, just came out. And um, so that's also a great way to um, explore a little more around these themes. But um, yeah, on my website, you can also find how to get in touch with me and I'd be happy to hear from anyone. So lifestyleforhealthandwellness.com. And we'll put it in the show notes as well so it's easy for people to find. Last question. If you can leave us with your best tip for busy parents, what is the first step they can take in applying the principles of lifestyle medicine to their own lives and for their family? I would just like to tell them that in order to do well, you have to be well. And so I would like them to ask themselves this simple question, how can I thrive? And again, that might require a break and it might seem to be difficult to do that, but you don't need a lot of time. If you take a little break, you can already notice a shift in yourself and it will have the effects of a better outlook and better brain power so that you can actually do more in a shorter time after that. And another thing for busy parents might be, you know, along the same lines, just practicing digital detox. It's an act of courage these days to turn off your phone, right? But uh, it can really do a world of good because it puts you in another space. And at first you might have some anxiety, but it's really, really freeing. And you can do that, you know, with the whole family. And baby steps are okay. Baby steps are okay in your family and baby steps are okay on your journey to better health and happiness. So ask yourself what part of your health can use a boost and realize that better health and well-being are within reach if you stay clear of the smoke and mirrors. And then you will be empowered to be your own and your family's health champion. Oh, that's lovely. That's beautiful. That's perfect. I like how you said that. What do I require to thrive? Because asking the, the question is what gets you the best answer. You got to ask good questions to get good answers. And that's a perfect question to help parents narrow down. Okay. Where do I need to start? What do I need to work on little by little? Beautiful. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Shriver. This has been fantastic. I hope that everybody goes out and gets your book and learns more and more about the principles of lifestyle medicine, how they can apply to themselves and to their families so that we can all have the well-being, the joy, and the longevity that we each desire. I appreciate your work. Thank you so much for everything that you do. And I hope that you have a very plantastic day. Thank you. It's been wonderful to have this conversation with you. That was such a fabulous episode. I loved meeting Dr. Shriver. I think that she's so wise and has so many amazing things to say. I love the way that she words things in particular. It makes it make so much sense. But I have six takeaways from this episode. Number one, the lifestyle medicine pillars are like a jigsaw puzzle. So they're all important. And if you're missing one, it makes it so that you can't see the picture quite as clearly. So you're not optimized. 
However, Dr. Shriver and I both agree that nutrition is vitally important. So if you need somewhere to start, nutrition is a great place to start, especially because we eat several times a day. So that's several choices every day that you can make to benefit your health. Number two, approaching your health and well-being with an all or nothing or a black and white attitude is going to actually hold you back. So if you're tempted to do that, start trying to approach things as far as taking steps and making small changes and those will add up over time instead of trying to dive in and go all or nothing right away. Number three, it's not really about willpower. You might need a little bit in the beginning, like Dr. Shriver was saying, you do need to be intentional, but willpower is not what's going to help you sustain these habits. Learn to generate positive emotions in order to reach your goals, to sustain these habits and behaviors that you need to get the well-being that you desire. Number four, develop a positive relationship with food. That is important. So. I do want us to take the emphasis off of body weight, off of weight loss, off of body size, but having a positive relationship with food, having that ability to tune into our bodies is going to benefit us in so many ways. It's going to benefit our health too. And that's something that I would probably want to have a whole separate episode on is what are the advantages of learning to eat intuitively? Because there's many. Number five, become an explorer. Be curious about life. Be curious about what you learn and find out as much as you can about it. What are some other options when it comes to your health and well-being? Try things out. Treat it like an experiment and then see what works for you and what doesn't. It's a really refreshing way to to view well-being, to view health, even to view life. And finally, I just love the question that she left for parents at the end. What do I require to thrive? What is it that you need? Where do you need help? Where do you need support? Is it sleep that you're lacking? Are you having difficulty getting the fruits and veggies in? Are you having difficulty finding time to move your body? So where is it that you require to thrive? fantastic episode. I hope that you enjoyed it, that you got great nuggets of information out of this one. As always, veggie lovers, I appreciate you so much. And thank you so much for being on this journey with me. I hope that you have a very plantastic day. Hey, veggie lover. I hope that you loved today's episode. Will you take a second and do me a huge favor? Please subscribe to my podcast so that you never miss an episode. You're the reason I'm here and I want to share it all with you. Thank you for listening and have a plantastic day. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker. 
engineering your success.